0: Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit wHBCwaco.org. James chapter 5 verses 1 through six, as we look at this on how to be wise with your wealth, how to be wise with your wealth. A lot of people do not believe that uh, a lot of people believe that the Bible says you cannot be wealthy. A lot of people believe that the Bible says you cannot have money. They say that the Bible teaches that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. God is not against you having money. I'm not against you having money. Matter of fact, you've heard me say it a thousand times, I want God to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the church. Make more money so you can give more money to the church. You know, I don't have any problem with that. The Bible does not have any problem with you having wealth or with money. He's not opposed to it. He is opposed to our misuse and abuse of wealth. That's what he's against. So I think to help us navigate this thing we call money, this thing we call wealth, we need to have the right attitudes about wealth, and we need to, have the, we need to look at the wrong attitudes about wealth. Everyone in this room is wealthy. I don't care if you have a lot of money money. Or a little bit of money. You are wealthy by the world's standards. Listen, if you own a car, you are wealthy. If you own more than one set of clothes, you are wealthy. If you own a home, I mean, the bank may own it, you may be paying on it, but it's your home. If you own a home, you're within the top 5% of the world. We are wealthy. Here in America, we do not know what poverty. Does that mean there's not poor people? Yeah, there, there are, but it, it's, it looks different Wherever you go in the world, we are wealthy. So I think, even though this passage seems to be talking about wealthy, you may exclude yourself, I think we can all agree we fit in this category. Now, the thing I want you to hear me on this, we would like to take this passage of Scripture and say, James is talking about those wealthy people out there. Listen, he was writing to Christians. He was writing to people in the church. They weren't taking this and going out in the marketplace and reading this. They were reading it within their little church. So this is a problem he was addressing in the early church, and I think it's fitting that he addresses it even today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at this in this passage this morning so we can understand what it means. So go ahead and follow along with me in James chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is what James says in this passage. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, "'And moths have eaten your clothes. "'Your gold and silver are corroded. "'Their corrosion will testify against you "'and eat your flesh like fire. "'You have hoarded wealth in the last days. "'Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen "'who mowed your fields are crying out against you. "'The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears "'of the Lord Almighty. "'You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. "'You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter.' You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. So I'm going to give you two two things today. Now there's lots of things underneath it, but the two central ideas, we need to have to look at the wrong attitude about money and the right attitude about money. Let's look first at the wrong attitude about money. Number one, it's wrong to hoard your money. It's wrong to hoard your money. Look at what he says in verse 3 of this passage. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. James is saying that these people have hoarded their wealth. He's saying that it's not to be stockpiled. Your wealth is to be put into circulation amongst the people. He said, James is not against saving your money. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the people that just pile money on top of one another and it serves no purpose whatsoever. When is enough enough? He's just talking about people that... Save money for no reason to save it. They hoard money. Now, in the New Testament times, people were struggling with this. They had wealthy people had three ways that they demonstrated or bragged about their money. Uh, They did it with food, they did it with clothes, and they did it with precious metals and jewels. James addresses all three of those issues. Look at what he says in verses 2 through 3. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. So he says, your wealth is rotted. It means that, that food you have in the back of your refrigerator that you haven't eaten for three or four or five days, you know, that one you're doing the science experiment, it's rotting. Get rid of it. You're, you're hoarding food. You shouldn't be hoarding. Okay? He's talking about the clothes, not the clothes you wear. He's talking about the clothes that you put in the back of your closet that you never wear and the moths eat it. He said, that's hoarding. If you're not going to use it, get rid of it. Uh, Then he talks about the, the money that you have, it's just being corroded, it's becoming corrupted. These are the things he's talking about in that passage, is that everything that we have is being destroyed. Everything that we hoard is being destroyed. James says it's not to be hoarded. We talked about this last week as we looked at Luke chapter 12. And we talked about that successful man who had a large crop. And he said to himself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns so I can put more of my stuff in my garage. No, no, in my uh, my barns. That's what it was. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You people that park your cars in the driveway because you've got so much stuff in your garage, you can't get your cars in the garage. You know what I'm talking about. This is what he said. And what did God say? You fool. You fool. You're going to die tonight. Then who will get all this stuff that you had? He never once thought about sharing it. He never once thought about giving it. All he thought about doing was just hoarding it for himself. James says that's wrong. You shouldn't be hoarding your wealth. You're supposed to be giving it away. You're supposed to be putting it in circulation. So it's wrong to hoard your money. Second, it's wrong to steal money from others. James is not only interested in how we got our money, he's talking about how we hoard our money, but how we get our money. He says, don't steal it. And I know what you're saying. He said, duh, pastor, we know that. We know we're not supposed to steal, but here's the thing. We can steal in subtle ways. We can steal money in ways that we're not even aware that, that, we're, that we're stealing it. We can do it by dishonest means. Sometimes there's a lot of different ways we can steal. When I was 13 years old, I took a job down the street at the Hardy's Hamburger Place. That was before it became a big thing. I mean, Hardy's Hamburger was the place to be in Irving, Texas, because, you know, it had made little hamburgers. Nobody ever made it. It was great. So I said, 13, I'm going to take a job at Hardy's. So I applied. I didn't think they hired me. So one Saturday morning, I get a call from Hardy's Hey, we need you to come in today and work. So I show up at 12 o'clock to work at Hardy's Hamburgers. And I worked until 11 o'clock that night. I walked there. And I worked until 11 o'clock, and then I walked home. Uh, when I got my first, they didn't call me back. Uh, I guess they just needed help that one day, or, you know, I was just so awesome they couldn't pay me enough money, I guess, you know, <laughs> or maybe I was so bad they didn't want me, I don't know. But the point is, I got my first paycheck in the mail a few days later, and I looked at it, they only paid me for nine hours, but I worked 11 hours. I think that's right, 12 to 11 is 11 hours. Matter of fact, they wanted us to work a little later. But they only paid me for nine hours. So I, went, I took my paycheck. I think it was $9.67, okay? And so I went up to the Hardy's manager and I said, hey, you only paid me for nine hours. He goes, we don't pay our employees to clean up afterwards. I worked two hours cleaning up. They closed at nine. I worked till 11. You know what he just did? He took money away from me. I did the work, but he withheld the money from me. Listen, this is not new. This is what was going on in New Testament times. In New Testament times, you would go down to the local marketplace and you'd hire day workers. You need somebody bringing your crops. You need somebody bringing your, 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 your vegetables or your harvest, whatever it is. So you go and they would work a day and you'd pay them at the end of the day. You give them the money. And so what was happening, they'd go, go and get these workers, say, We're going to pay you at the end of the day. And after the day's work, the guy says, You know, I'm not really happy with your work. So he doesn't pay you and you go home, he keeps your money and he keeps your work. This is what was going on in the New Testament times. And James says, that is wrong. Look what he says in verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He's saying, this doesn't go unnoticed by God. He knows what's happening In that situation. He says, in our desire for money, James is saying, don't steal it. Listen, if I charge you too much for a job, I'm stealing from you. If I sell a car, now I'm getting personal here, if I sell a used car to somebody and I don't tell you about all the problems with the car, I'm stealing from you. It's that simple. It's that simple. You know, if you cheat on your taxes. I don't cheat on my taxes, okay, because I'm the one they will audit. So I just, I, just, I just take it all. I don't need any of it. Just take it all. Just leave me alone. But if you cheat on your taxes, guess what? You're stealing. You're stealing. You may not think you are, but you're stealing. You know, if, if, you, if you're at work and you're slacking and you're taking five coffee breaks, you know, five coffee breaks, ten bathroom breaks, and you're stealing from your employer. It's as simple as that. So James says, don't hoard it. He said, man, don't steal it either. Don't take advantage of people. So it's it's wrong to steal from others. Finally, our third, it's wrong to waste your money. He's talking about the way we spend our money is very important. Look what he says in verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Here's what he's saying. We are not to waste. Our money. I think that's probably one of the greatest temptations we have. To selfishly spend our money on ourselves. You know, we say such things as, I've earned it. I deserve this. You know, I have merited this. So so we, we begin spending it on ourselves. You know, the more you make, the easier it is to waste it. I'm worth it. I can afford it. Listen, just because you can afford it doesn't mean you need to buy it. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. I think it's why we're so fascinated on TV or, or Internet, whatever. We're fascinated and we find pleasure in watching people spend money. You know, the popular shows, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You know, we're just fascinated. Look at their homes. Look at their cars. Look at how extravagant they are. You know, our, our idols for you young folks, Kim Kardashian or Kylie Jenner. Well, what do they do? They do nothing but make money, but we're envious y'all are, I'm not, envious of what they have. Envious of what they have. and We look at that and say, but I wish I could be like them. You don't see too many shows about the lifestyles of the poor and the unknown. You, know, you just don't see that. You know, they don't have anything to offer us. We're interested in the, the rich and the famous. We can spend money on a lot of different things. I was just here, I heard this week, on the news, on the uh, sports news, P.J. Tucker, who's a forward, a small forward for the Houston Rockets, he spent $200,000 on shoes. Missy's going, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, sister. You know, look, that's a little, $200,000 on shoes. You see, we'll spend money on crazy stuff. James says, don't, don't do that. Don't waste your money, you know, don't spend it on things and pleasures that add nothing to your life. Look at what he says in verse 5. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Is that what we're doing? We're fattening ourselves in the days of slaughter. All right, let's look at the last one. It's wrong to abuse your money. James is talking about here that money has influence. Money has power. It has influence. You don't abuse it. Uh, It's it's more than just buying ability. It's the ability to sway somebody. It's the ability to coerce somebody. Uh, We see it in the political circles. And I'm not going to get political. They do it on both sides of the spectrum. If you vote for me, I'm going to make sure you get free money. If you vote for me, I'm going to do this. That's exactly what they're doing. They're bribing us. They're bribing us. Trying to use wealth to coerce, to manipulate what we do, what we want, what we desire. It gives us influence. A poor person has never asked his advice. We don't want to know from a poor person. It's only the wealthy that we seek advice from. So we listen to the wealthy. We listen to these individuals. And why is it that they get away with things we can't get away with? Why is that? James is saying that that's wrong. Jesus said that the children of the world are wiser than the children of light. Why? Because they know how to use the money to influence and and to shape things. We have to recognize that money has influence. But listen, you can use influence in the wrong way. You can use your money in a wrong way. You can use it to manipulate. You can use it to coerce. You can use it to, to persuade in a negative way. What's the point that James is trying to make? He's trying to say that money is powerful and we are not to abuse it. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Here's what was going on in the New Testament. The wealthy had all the money. A, a, young, a, a poor person would bring a lawsuit against them. And so the rich person would go to the judge and he'd say, listen, if you're in my favor, I'll give you money. And so they were buying off the judges, so they could get the judges to make a decision on behalf of the wealthy instead of the poor. In many cases, the poor were being put to death, or if nothing else, they were sold into slavery to pay off debts. This is what was going on in, in the New Testament. And listen, listen, it even happens today in the world in which we live, even in churches. And it's amazing to me, many of you don't know this. I planned my sermons a year in advance. Pretty much I stick to the schedule. Why do I do that? Because I know how many times as a pastor we get sidetracked on other things we have to do. I want to know when I go into office at Monday morning at 8 o'clock what am I preaching on? I don't have to guess. I don't have to fantasize. I don't have to sit there and twiddle my thumbs because God's already giving me the text that I'm going to be dealing with. So a year ago, I started looking at James. I said, okay, I'm going to preach James. And so I start, throughout the year, I start working on it. Last week, I pretty much had it done. I had the skeleton done. I had to make a few illustrations here and there. But it was done. And by Tuesday evening, I pretty much had my sermon done. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, the way that works. Just this week, just this week, I had some individuals come to me. Come to me, and this is what they said. Pastor, we have people in the church that are saying that if they don't get their way, they're going to withhold their tithe. They're going to withhold their tithe. What are they trying to do? They're trying to coerce. They're trying to manipulate so they can get their way. And so I said logically, because I'm a pretty logical individual. I said, okay, logically, Okay, so here are individuals that are going to withhold they're in disobedience to God to begin with, and we're going to listen to them. No. No. James speaks about the issue in the providence of God. God knew what was going to be going on at Western Heights Baptist Church over a year ago, and it was geared for me to preach this sermon on this day because God is not caught off guard. And he knows. He knows. And we stand upon the authority of God's word and say, if you don't like it, then you've got a problem with God, not with the preacher. God's word is alive, isn't it? It's alive, and it's vibrant, and it speaks to the issues of the day. It's the New Testament lived all over. If you are if you're do what i tell you, I'll give you the money. I'll give you the money. Listen, my friends. Listen, my dear friends. We as followers of Jesus, we cannot bow down to money. We can't do it. God will provide. God will provide. So we got to be careful, careful that we don't fall into that. The consequences of misused wealth, he tells us in verses 2 and 3, your wealth is rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. He's saying some of it's going to corrode in today. He said, but some of it, it's going to stand testimony against you at the judgment. At the judgment. He said it would, it would judge you. This is what James is saying. It's going to decay. It's going to devalue. And it will judge you in eternity. Now, I'm pretty bummed, but I don't want to leave you with the wrong impression, okay? I want to give you some positives. I want to give you the right attitude about money. We've looked at the wrong attitude. You know what they were. I told you it's wrong to hoard your money. It's wrong to steal steal money. It's wrong to waste your money. It's wrong to abuse your money. I want to give you the right attitude about money. God is not against us having money. Uh, he's not against us having a savings account. Proverbs twenty-one, verse twenty, says, "In the house of the wise, a store is a choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has." We are told in Scripture to save faithfully, and I've discovered something in my old age: the older I get, the more I want to save, because I'm beginning to see the twilight years in thirty years, and I just want to, y'all to catch that right—the uh, twilight years in thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> listen God's not through with me till he tells me he's through with me but I want to save a little bit more so that maybe I can you know have HDTV or something you know I don't know so, so I, the older I get I want to save money Jesus talked about it in parables did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell uh, half of his parables dealt with money where is that because where your treasure is that's where your heart would be so he, he talked about it, and he tells us how to deal with money. He says, it's okay to invest. Uh, you should invest. He says, a wise man will invest his money. He talked about that in, 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 a, in a passage in Luke. He talked about the guy who, who he, he took the money that the master gave him, he invested it, and he got a return on it. And then there was another guy who didn't invest the money, and he just hit it in the ground. And he said, said why didn't you at least get some money from that money? He said, you could have earned something in interest. He said, and he said you're wicked. You're wicked. Listen, here's the thing. God wants you to save money. He wants you to save money because here's the reason you save your money. You save your money to get your money to work for you instead of you working for your money. So that's what He wants you to do. It's okay to have a 401k. It's okay to have a retirement. It's okay to have an IRA. Get it in there. Let it make you some money. That's okay. God is not against that. J.D. Rockefeller, the 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 billionaire from a uh, you know, century ago, he, lived by, he said, you've got to learn to live in moderation. Here's his principle. He said, you save 10%, you tithe 10%, and you live on 80%. He said, if you would just choose, I'm going to live on 80% of my income, he said, you'll do well. He did pretty well. He did pretty well by that. He was a multi-billionaire. Save 10 tithe 10 and live on 80. So for those of you that are, that are arithmetic challenged, let me give you a simple illustration, okay? If you make $100 a week, okay? You're getting this, $100. Pastors are great at percentages, okay? $100. You put $10 in a savings account, not in a coffee can, in a savings account, okay? And then you give $10 to the church and you live on 80. Well, pastor, if I give 80, I'll have 20% less money. Yeah, but that 80 will go further than the 100 ever will. That's what you do. It's not, that, it's not that difficult. You learn to be content with what you have. So I'm going to give you the right attitude. We're going to go through these real quick, okay? So, so stay with me, okay? There's four supernatural laws that will help you have the right attitude about your money, okay? Okay? The first one is the Law of Clarification. It's called the Law of Clarification. God, the Law of Clarification says that God owns all the wealth in this world and the next. You've heard the expression, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills. So He owns everything, all right? David said it this way in First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. Psalm 24, 1, David said this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. James previously said in James chapter 1, Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, who loves to give. And He gives without favoritism. He gives. So clarification is, You don't own anything. Do I need to clarify that? Are you all pretty clear? Clarification, you don't own anything. God owns it all. He just lets you use some of it, okay? Second second is a law of circulation. God wants his, his wealth circulated. And look, this is not a, this is not a, a, a Republican mantra, a Democratic mantra. This is, not, this is talking about Christianity, okay? Listen, and I've told you this before. It is not charity when you use somebody else's money to do something. It's only charity when you use your own money. Okay? So, so don't misunderstand that. He's talking about Christianity and, and the way, way it works in, in this situation. So it's the law of circulation. In the very beginning of time, when God created the world, He had one principle. You know what it was? Give, give, give. God gave. And it was good. God gave. The trees gave. The rivers gave. The lakes gave. The animals gave. The sun gave. The man gave. Give, 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 give. But then something happened. Satan entered into the world and he flipped everything. And Satan entered into that temptation said, oh, don't you know that you can be like God? You can be like God. And Satan changed the philosophy from give, give, give to get, get, get. Get all you can. Go for the gusto and get it. And man, ever since the fall, man has been greedy Greedy, taking care of ourselves and not looking out for the affairs of others. That's what we do. The original design for God still applies. And listen, God condemned the people of Israel. They didn't understand why they weren't being blessed. They didn't understand why they weren't enjoying the fruits of the work and why they were oppressed from all sides. They didn't understand and so God condemned the people of Israel for not living by the law of circulation. Listen to what he said in Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. He says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe, not part of the tithe, the whole tithe, all 10%. Bring all 10% into the storehouse. What was the storehouse? The temple the place of worship, that there may be food in my house. Why was that? Because the church, the temple of the day, was how you took care of the down and outs, the aliens, the strangers, the hungry, the homeless. You took care of them through God's providence in that way. But they were under a curse because they weren't doing it. They weren't experiencing it. God says, look, my wealth is to be circulated and the way that you circulate my wealth Is through my house. Through my house. I'm convinced that if every Christian, and only about 2% of Christians give. I I want you all to know that. 2% 2 of Christians in the world give. If every follower of Jesus, hear me, if every follower of Jesus, disciple of Christ, every person who says, I am a Christian, if they would give at least 10% of the money, we would not need social welfare programs in the United States. We could take care of every problem there is but because we have we have we have we have decided we don't want to do that we pass it off to the government and it was never the government's job to do it it's the church's job why because it gives us an opportunity to share the love of Christ I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you that this is what the Bible teaches in a very clear way unfortunately because of sin we got these other problems alright God means His wealth to be circulated. Third, it's the law of cooperation. All wealth belongs to God's children. The problem is we're not cooperating with Him. You've always always heard it said, God has more than enough money to fund His church. The problem is it's in your pockets. It's in your pockets. We're not cooperating with God. Paul said it this way, we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. We are His children. And God gives everything to His children; He just wants us to cooperate with Him. Fourth truth. Fourth is the law of cultivation. This law says that the way we appropriate God's wealth, or the way we receive God's wealth, is to give. We never reap until we sow. We never give until we we never get until we give back. Luke, Jesus said it this way in Luke 6:38. Give, it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The analogy is somebody going into the marketplace. All he's got is one little can of beans and he he puts his beans and, you know, contributing to the rest. And the guy says, Hey man, open up your open up your apron, I'm going to pour some beans in your apron, and he just begins to pour in the beans in your apron until your apron overflows that's the point, Is listen we give with a shovel, we give with a spoon God gives with a shovel this is what he's talking about but you will never experience that until you learn to give give we reach into God, into his unlimited resources and we give from him to others, what a great honor, he's bestowed upon us what a great honor upon his children. He says, I'm giving you the honor to be my conduit of blessings to other people. What a great honor he's given us. David said it this way, after David was raising money for the temple. Remember, David couldn't build the temple, but he was raising money for the temple. And the people brought so much money, David said, man, quit giving. You will never hear that from a Baptist preacher, okay? Stop giving. Stop giving. <laughs> you know. And then David said, Lord, Lord, why are we able to do this? Why are we able to give so freely? He says, he says that this, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. God, the reason we're able to do this is because you blessed us so much. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24-25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And this is taught over and over and over in Scripture. No, it's not health, wealth, and make you wise. You know, if I believe that, if I taught that, I would be healthier, I'd be wealthier, and I would sure in the world be a lot wiser. That's not what he's talking about. It's It's just this idea of giving. Giving and receiving, in return. Give and it will be given to you. You don't cultivate the fruit until you plant the seeds. If you want tomato plants, you got to plant tomato seeds. You're not going to get them. Just said, "Boy, I hope I grow some tomatoes today." Where well, did you plant any seeds? Well, no, I didn't. Well, you're probably not going to get any tomatoes. It's pretty simple. There's more promises in the Bible related to giving than anything else in the Bible. We as followers of Jesus have got to learn to be givers. Why is that? Because God's a giver. God's a giver. Why? Because God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. He gave. You think you can outgive God? Give your firstborn. Give your son to die for sinful man. And even if listen, and even my friends, if God never does anything else for you, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Because He died that you might have life and have life more abundantly. But we give because God is a giver. He came that we might live life abundantly. If we want to live life abundantly, we got to give abundantly. You've heard it said a thousand times. You can't take it with you. You know, there's never a such a thing as a, a U-haul behind a hearse. Uh, you can't take it with you when you die but you can send it on ahead. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's almost like James and Jesus are on the same page Duh It's the same Holy Spirit Revealing the same truth Jesus teaches it that way James pours it out in a very functional Way So you can store up treasures in heaven How do you do it? How do you store up treasures in heaven? Well you invest in things that are going to last forever Last week I told you There's two things that last forever Y'all remember what they were? The Word of God and the souls of men. That's it. The Word of God and the souls of men. Invest in things that will last forever. I guess you could say, I'm going to invest in getting the Word of God in the hands of people. That's good. Invest in the souls of men. Every time you give to Western Heights Baptist Church, a portion of what you give goes to missions, a portion goes to local missions. Missions in the state, missions in the world, missions locally. It goes to ministry here in our community. We give money away to help people. Every time you give some of your money, $10, $5, $100, $1,000, whatever, some of that money is being used to fund a missionary in Africa. And that missionary is working in Africa, a place that you'll never go and never will be able to go. And they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. And they may come to know Jesus. They may come to know Jesus. You had a hand in that. When you give money at the church, you allow us to put nursery workers in our preschool area where those little kids learn about Jesus at a young age. Or it puts workers in our children's building, provides literature for our little children, allows us to buy Bibles for those first graders. And they get in it, and they get age-appropriate learning, and someday that little child will say, "Because my teacher shared the gospel with me, I came to know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of my life." Or perhaps this one: We have a youth ministry. We have a lot of youth here. Our youth develop some friends at some of the local high schools. They bring them. To, they bring them to church. They don't know Jesus but they know the youth and so they they like hanging out. They like pizza and they like singing and they like playing games. They like that. But in the process, they build some relationships and a teacher, Cynthia, Amy, Phyllis or whoever, hopefully a youth minister in the days ahead, tells them about Jesus. And for the first time, for the first time, they hear there's a daddy who loves them and he won't abuse them. And He won't abandon them. And they say, God is the same today, yesterday, and He'll never leave you as an orphan. And for the first time, they know the love of a father. And they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of life. You had a hand in that. You had a hand in that because you gave faithfully out of the abundance that God has given you. One more illustration. Because you give, because a lot of people in the first service give, bless their heart. A lot of our senior saints in the first service, they give out of the goodness and the kindness of the heart. It allows us to do this. It allows us to bring in an Aaron. It allows us to, to fund some positions so that we can reach people that we haven't been good at reaching for 20, 25 years. Younger people, people that are disenfranchised from the church. People said, I'm angry at the church, I'm mad at a pastor, I'm, I'm mad at this. And so they've turned their back on the church. But something brings them here. Maybe it's a song that's sung, or maybe it's a ministry that we do, or maybe it's a word that is proclaimed, if only I had that much power. If only I had that much power. But they come, and for the first time they say, you know what, I can be real with these people. I don't have to put on my Sunday best." They accept me as I am. And then one day, one day, because we faithfully have given, somebody walks the aisle and says, I want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. That's the way you invest in things that last forever. Forever.